Some companies still know how business casual is done. It's strictly business. Not strictly business today, Daniel Litwin. Yeah. Because it's casual Friday. Yeah, you tell them. You bring the hammer down. This is 2020, all right? We're not messing around. Exactly. Not fooling around here. It's casual Fridays. <laughs> but it's not so casual that, you know, we're not going to drop any curse words on air. So That's true. That's true. But it is casual enough. We ain't enough. freaking around, dog. <laughs> it is casual enough that we're both rocking the, like, unbuttoned, button-down shirt. Look, you know? Yeah, I've got the... So, I like my shirts from Zara yeah. with the no-collar, you know? I dig, I dig that. I, I don't have any shirts like that, though. I feel like I need one. They're nice, because you can, for usual, dress them up or down. Yeah. Um, This is like a denim look. Yeah. Um, And it used to be a darker denim, and then I took it to the dry cleaners. Ooh. And now it is, like, whitewashed. I'm much more, like, faded. Yeah. I, I kind of dig it. I didn't like it at first, but I, yeah. I do kind of like it now. Although I dig everyone it. thinks I'm wearing it inside out now, so. Yeah. People are just going to have to adjust. Yeah. It's called fashion. Yeah, right? Excuse me. Uh. <laughs> so, sorry. Um. Wow. Hello, uh. everyone. It is another 2020. Is, was this our first episode back, or have you done an episode back? Uh, You've I done did an, an episode, episode on Wednesday with Jeff. Didn't we do one on Friday? Weren't you here for the one on Friday? This I think past I was, yeah. Friday? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were. Okay. I don't know. It feels like the first one back, but cool. it's not. 2020, man. Alas. It's already been like a whole year. It's only been a week. <laughs> um, hello. I'm Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. I'm Tyler Kern. The Podfather. The Podfather. We're dropping that one today. Sure. Okay. Um, and welcome to Business Casual. We have a busy show coming up, Daniel, because you were at CES. I was. For a lot of the week. That's uh, why it feels like the first episode back of the year. It's true. CES kind of threw a wrench in my beginning of the year. You go to Vegas feel. and you immediately forget everything that happened in the year before you went to Vegas. True. That's what I get for waking up in Vegas. Isn't that a Katy Perry song? Is it? <laughs> Well, I guess I'm playing this with the wrong crowd. I'm huh? not mega familiar with her entire catalog. <laughs> I thought that was one uh, of her most famous ones. Is it really? I don't know. Whatever. I just know like uh, last Friday night and um, California. Yeah, girls. I know that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and her most firework. Yeah, I know firework. Which, if I'm just being honest, is one of the dumbest. I often feel like a plastic dumbest bag. song ever written. There's a great edit online where it's just. Uh, do you ever feel like a plastic bag? But it's just that lyric over the whole song. <laughs> do you ever feel like a plastic bag? And then just like <laughs> a plastic bag, and it just goes for the rest of the song. It's so good. Uh, um, this wow. is not what we intended to talk no, about on the show sorry, today. Sorry, folks. But- we, you know, we like our tangents. But alas, yes, I was at CES in Las Vegas, CES 2020. If you don't know what that stands for, folks, come on. It's the Consumer Electronics Show. It is yes. the show. Uh, I mean, it, you know, it's it's um, basically the conglomeration of so many different industries. It's huge. All coming together to showcase the future of tech, of business strategy in the consumer electronics world. But it's not just B2C. It is very B2B. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to interact with a lot of different companies out there that were showcasing their tech their outlook, their vision for 2020. Um, and yeah, it was really, really a solid time. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, the, and even though 
consumer is in the name of the show, there really is a lot of B2B elements to this show and a lot of uh, things that you can pull out, uh, you know, that, that is still extremely B2B, extremely relevant to what we talk about on a day-to-day basis. And totally. so that's, uh, that's a really fun aspect of the show also is just kind of finding those things as well. It is. And just from like an eagle's eye view, uh, we saw a lot of smart city mm-hmm. conversation. That's interesting. A lot of transportation, like micromobility conversations. Um Data privacy and security yeah. definitely big, uh, and honestly, like reaching a new audience mm-hmm. that felt like a big part of the conversation. Whether that was reaching a new audience with like uh, like Bell helicopter, though they dropped the helicopter, they're now just Bell. Oh, uh, yes. I thought I, you meant they physically dropped a helicopter, and I was like, let's not <laughs> let's not do that. That would probably go against their entire brand. Yeah, yeah. We're going to drop a helicopter and blow it up. It's off-brand. Off a little off-brand. Yeah. Um, but Bell, no helicopter, they you know, are looking to bring people into the on-demand air mobility space. Interesting. Right? Kind so of moving into that Uber Air kind of... Uh, correct. I think it's Uber Elevate yeah, kind right. of space. And, and you know, when I spoke to them, they were really... Uh, Still thinking about how do we bring in the right people for this? Who is going to be the right audience? Who do we target immediately right. with uh, this program? Same with um, with content providers that I was speaking mm-hmm. to. Same with uh, micro-mobility providers I was talking to. And, and every, every kind of product rollout was very focused on honing it in on a specific audience. And I don't think that's particularly new for B2B or for B2C, but... We have so many tools that enable that kind of granular targeting now, right? Everything from targeted advertising to um, uh, content marketing tools right. to uh, robust data and analytics that go into website traffic and engagement. Uh, and to that point, uh, we actually have some audio from two different interviews that we're going to play here Yes, uh, for you, the audience. And then Tyler and I are going to do a little discussion. The first one is very much on this idea of engagement, reaching that new audience. And it was a conversation with Gary Mittman. He's the CEO uh, and executive chairman at Curve Interactive. That's K-E-R-V. And that's actually their slogan. I'm not just spelling the name. Really? Yeah. Well, when when he introduced the company, he was like, yeah, you know, Curve Interactive. And we like to say, that's K-E-R-V. And I was like, that's very radio. That is extremely... Isn't that very radio? It, You're listening to KERV Interactive. You're home for 70s, 80s, and today. And today. Skipping over 30 other years. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. Yes. I love, I love that. 70s, 80s, and today. It's really close to my last name, actually. <laughs> I feel like I should start a radio station. K-E-R-N. K-E-R-N. The Kern. Yeah. I where it's that. just my opinions for 24 <laughs> hours a day. Wow, that sounds like every podcast ever. Not even my wife wants that. <laughs> oh, God. Actually, especially my wife does not want my opinions for 24 hours. Hey, that's okay. Yeah. I want your opinions. Thank you. I'll, you know, just feed them to me. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be hearing now from Gary Mittman, again, CEO and executive chairman at Curve Interactive. And the platform for Curve is one of video analytics. They're looking to transform the idea of engaging with a piece of video because what he says is video is basically the last piece of static content out there. I'm going to let him explain it better. Let's jump in. About five minutes worth of convo with uh, him and I, and then Tyler and I will discuss. So, Gary, you've been in this area of cutting-edge technology for advertising tech and advertising management 
since you broke into the field in the early 2000s. Correct. What has the trajectory been leaning towards since you got into it? Well, it's uh, been an, how have you seen it evolve? The world has evolved. Yeah. So starting from the early days of BBSs and rolling into graphical browsers and then rolling into full internet engagement with high-speed bandwidth, it's been an interesting ride sure. to watch the whole path. But I'd say the most current application and, and what we're involved in is the interactive video or engagement process, where typically the web or digital environments are interactive. The last frontier is video. Mm. So video is the last piece of digital content that is static and has no engagement function. Right. And uh, we have a patent on an interactive capability designing the pixel edges or shape of an object in a video for a consumer to interact and engage with. Does it utilize any of the same technology that you might see in like post-production video editing, like rotoscoping or anything like that? Um, well, sort of. I mean, it, it's it's more it's more the AI and the ML of yeah. the object recognition, okay. and it's the learning process. And typically, in that process, people use bounding boxes, right, for machine learning and artificial intelligence, where they identify an area and the content within that area. What separates us is that we identify not only the area and what's in it, but sure. the actual shape of the unique object. Interesting. So, you know, it's interesting you bring up the fact that video is still the only static piece of content we engage with. I think that's probably because most people view video as not being static, right? There's naturally some kind of narrative engagement that you're getting, mm -hmm. you know, you're getting scenes, you're getting different shots. And I bet for a while, advertisers and content marketers saw that as enough, right? That is engaging in and of itself. Sure. So I guess what you're saying is that that's no longer the case, it's not enough? Well, I think it's a hybrid. Yeah. I think what we're seeing is like Bandersnatch, uh, the TV show. There's a lot, was of, a lot of fun. Yeah, and there's a lot of, uh, I know that Bleacher Report's working on something very interesting in that path. That there's a lot of people building content now that's interactive mm. beyond just an object, but allows a consumer to also create their own chaptering or stories. Right. And we're, we're working on a couple of projects with people for that. But if you incorporate the combination of object recognition and content uh, procurement or, or user engagement with the mm. content, it allows for a, a much broader engagement experience rather than the traditional experience of television with the lean back, right. we're now experiencing a lean in. And, and as, we, as you know from stats, the mobile phone is the one that's leading the charge mm -hmm. with video engagement and people interacting with the video and even watching Netflix on their phones. Right. So by having the capability of now interacting with it as an example, you watch, I don't know if you're married, but your wife could be watching a video and a Beyonce video and say, I right. love those shoes, yeah. right? And, and wow, where could I get those? And I'm sure we've heard from many people that everybody says, oh yeah, I've always wondered, that was a neat couch or that jacket was cool, where could I get it? Right. And our capability allows that to, the consumer to now learn about that, engage with it and interact with it. I feel like for companies creating content marketing, that is gonna be invaluable. Uh, because I think what we're seeing a lot of is that B2B companies are understanding that content marketing needs to be engaging at a narrative level, mm -hmm. right? The content itself needs to be fun to watch or it needs to be something more than just, here's my product, here's why it's cool. Mm -hmm. And I think having that layer of engaging with the product, now you can basically do a short film, let's say you're a retailer, right? You just create a short film where everyone is wearing your clothes 
the video has nothing to do with the clothes, but you interact with it by clicking around on, ooh, I really like that guy's shoes, or I like that jacket, or you know, those shades are dope. That adds a new layer of how to reach people without having them feel like they're being advertised too. I 100%. guess that's the end goal. Yeah, the, the, we've kind of got a theory around this, which yeah. is that there's two schools of thought currently. There's your uh, subscription-based content, sure, and then your ad-based content, traditional ads, right? And those are the options. When it gets to John Doe buying how many subscription-based things, right. he might just say, I'm gonna go back to Spectrum, and I'm not gonna use OTT, right? Or right. I'm not gonna use uh, apps. So where is the hybrid? And that's where we see the future going. The hybrid becomes in-content engagement, hmm. where the monetization happens in-show where if it's a beautiful scene, that could be purchased by a travel company. Right. And they could say, uh, you could click on it, learn that that's Hawaii, mm. and what resort that is, and you could buy a ticket to it, or any other variable like that. So the, the, the interesting hybriding of content and in-show engagement provides a new path for both content creators to monetize, for advertisers to engage with. That end part was particularly fascinating to me. What I love about this uh, platform or just this idea of using video as another chance to engage your advertiser market uh, beyond just the content itself, mm -hmm. but you know, granularly almost breaking the fourth wall is that I think it gives more flexibility for the content to be artistic, right. to be content. Um, you know, I imagine some of the stuff that we create for our clients, or I'm, I'm imagining it, that that's kind of where my head goes, right? Sure. Very narrative. Um, you know, there is a, a through line of story from beginning to end. Maybe the product that, you know, it conceived the video gets mentioned once by name, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say once by name. Uh, maybe even not at all. It's just actually a piece of engaging narrative content. But there's a layer of video analytics and engagement over it so that as a viewer, whether B2C or B2B, you can, you know, see something highlighted on the screen. It could be a tire, you know, if you are a um, automotive manufacturer or something and you're being advertised to try to purchase uh, gear for your vehicles. It could be a casual consumer being advertised to on an influencer's piece of content uh, for a piece of clothes that they might find interesting or a makeup set that they might find interesting. Right. I mean, it feels like the options are limitless for ways to capitalize on this while honestly leaning further into what is differenti excuse me, differentiating content today, which is making it feel like a narrative. Yeah, and so... I was thinking about the Aspen Avionics video that we did, yeah, right? I was the, thinking the, of that one the too. first in-flight one, and the the video is not so much an advertisement for this control panel that goes into the dash of a of an airplane, right? But it's a story about how a man got into flying and how it was a familial thing, and you know, as he grew up, he, he you know he loved to fly. He you know got more and more into it. It's like a personal story about right. his history with flying, right? And then woven within that is the product that you only really hear it mentioned once, but at multiple different times you see it on the screen. So you could 
I guess in this kind of more interactive world, you'd be able to click on it, interact with that uh, product a little bit more, get some specs on it, learn a little bit more about what it does. But the story is what draws you in. And I think that this almost allows for a deeper level of storytelling. Totally. That doesn't, that isn't completely divorced from the fact that like, hey, we also need you to buy our things. Right, exactly. Right. right. And, you know, I think end users will uh, welcome that. Because I don't think end users like being overtly advertised to. Uh, and I think this is kind of a subtle way to kind of nudge people to be like, hey, if you like this, we're going to give you the opportunity to click on it. And we'll pull up an Amazon tab for you to purchase it. Or, you know, we'll link to uh, a manufacturing website so you can contact a rep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, instead of now having to script and write in a piece of a video that, overtly has to mention the company name and why the product is important, which sometimes, you know, you might have to feel like you have to force it in. Now, with something like this, you wouldn't have to do that at all. And the content gets so much more room to breathe. So I really enjoyed this conversation with Gary. um, And he also pointed to how this can create new kinds of partnerships with influencers. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, imagine the kind of YouTubers out there, whether they are beauty YouTubers hitting a B2C community. That's a good point. Or they are, um, you know, uh, uh, treasure hunters trying to hit like a Garrett Metal Detectors community. Good point. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. A, a layer of branding over their casual influencer content that links to X product they use in a shot mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, X face of makeup that highlights, you know, their face and says, you know, purchased all from Fenty Beauty. Because yeah. we, we support Rihanna here. Um it's just, it just feels like such a great opportunity to use the platforms that are already out there that mm-hmm. influencers have crafted and hit their audience in a way that doesn't feel ham-fisted. So it's Definitely. just exciting stuff. We've got another conversation we want to pivot to here. Yes. This one is with John Rogers. So totally different feel of conversation. John Rogers is a professor of material science and engineering at Northwestern University. And I reached out to John because he did a panel uh, at CES Mm -hmm. on wearables and productivity in the workplace and how they are one and the same. How can wearables support the idea of productivity in the workplace? So we spoke a lot about the tech that he uses to manufacture wearables uh, and where he's seeing the trajectory for the wearables market. So let's hear from him for a little bit uh, and then we'll jump back in. You've co-founded several different companies. You've successfully launched different technologies mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. some patents of your own. Mm-hmm. What are some of those technologies, and how have you seen them proliferate? You know, give yourself a pat on the back here. Yeah, well, we've been working on a number of different technologies over over the years. Um, I'll be focused on two particular technology platforms uh, as part of the uh, presentation that I'll give in the wearable session tomorrow. Uh, one is a class of skin interface soft um, wireless electronics that allows uh, for full clinical grade vital signs monitoring wow. in particularly vulnerable patient populations. We're really focused on maternal, fetal, neonatal, and pediatric health. Wow. And so we've developed these technologies over the last several years. We've published them in peer-reviewed scientific journals. We have them now deployed into Africa and some of the most demanding resource-constrained uh, parts of the globe mm. to try to provide uh, insights to uh, clinicians and healthcare professionals to try to reduce the rates of mortality associated with uh, childbirth and uh, the immediate consequences of that. So that'll be one uh, area 
area of focus in, in the talk that I'll give tomorrow. The other is in a related type of technology designed for a completely different purpose, related in the sense that it's a platform technology that is soft and skin compatible to allow for that skin interface, but sure. not so much for measuring vital signs, instead for capturing very tiny volumes of sweat and using sweat as an unusual biofluid to do um, sort of uh, health diagnostics. So we have the ability to do biomarker concentration uh, measurements in very tiny volumes of sweat. Uh, and we have a joint uh, uh, product development program with Gatorade, uh, where the focus is on sweat loss and electrolyte loss. As you might imagine, those two quantities are very important to Gatorade's customer base, For and sure. we're on track to uh, launch a product at scale uh, in the summer. So a lot of the current research that you're working on, um, and even stuff that you've worked on in the past, like you said, focuses a lot on soft materials and the nanotechnology that goes into these soft materials. So that includes mm -hmm. things like polymers, liquid mm -hmm. crystals, skin-like mm -hmm. material, biological mm -hmm. tissues. Mm -hmm. How are these soft materials being put to work in various different industries as wearables? If you have to look at enterprise or B2B sort of industrial use cases. What are you seeing and how are they being useful? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we view soft materials as kind of critical for establishing a high information content interface with the body because the human body is soft, whether right. you're thinking about the skin or various internal organ systems. And so we think the future of wearables is really going to be driven by advances in material science and form factor to allow you to sort of do that integration in a way that's uh, comfortable and uh, irritation-free, imperceptible uh, in a sense, and that once you can accomplish that, you can move wearables from sort of capabilities that lie in the realm of just qualitative assessments of health status, step counting, for example, but physicians really can't act upon that, to data streams that quantitatively correlate with gold standards that are currently really confined to clinical and laboratory use. Mm -hmm. And so that's the idea, is to really take clinical-grade apparatus embedded in a skin-compatible form, mounted on uh, you know, individuals, patients, workers, for example, to allow continuous monitoring uh, of their health status and, and pairing that with data analytics and machine learning we, th we think will establish a very po powerful uh, vision for the future. Yeah. So specifically in terms of um, you know, B2B and, and worker uh, safety, we have um, adaptations of this platform that we're developing with Gatorade for mm. athletes and sort of fitness enthusiasts and so on to uh, really do uh, quantitative assessments of worker uh, safety in the context of proper uh, hydration. And so we have uh, a joint development program with a mining company. Miners sweat a lot yeah. uh, and sometimes they lose track of how much uh, sweat they've lost and sure. how much electrolyte they've lost and that can put them into a very uh, dangerous uh, health situation. We also have uh, programs in the oil and gas industry, oil uh, rig workers uh, as well, agricultural sector, first responders, fire firefighters, this type of thing. So so we think um, sort of you know, healthcare in a traditional sense would be very important as well as sports and fitness, but moving into this broader domain of industrial safety and worker safety. Yeah. You know, when I think of wearables in the workplace, often my mind goes to more accessible Fitbit level things, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. An external product mm -hmm. or something that you mm -hmm. literally wear mm -hmm. um, and that helps read, you know, productivity or... Um, you know, keeps maybe even embedded microchips. Mm -hmm. I don't remember mm -hmm. the company, mm -hmm. but some, mm -hmm. you know, are, are basically doing RFID mm -hmm. chips mm -hmm. in your hand mm -hmm. that act as your mm -hmm. key card, right? Mm -hmm. Not so much the soft tissue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that soft tissue still hasn't made its way into sort of the, the generic wearable in the workplace? Yeah. Is, it a, is it a constraint of 
um, investment and the technology yeah. itself being too yeah. expensive? Is it just yeah. not as developed yet? What are your yeah. thoughts? Well, it's coming and it's coming very soon. Yeah. So, so we have scaled deployments of these kinds of devices, skin compatible, sort of Band-Aid-like form factors is the way you can think about yeah, it. So yeah. gently adhering to the surface of the skin, but not for the purpose of uh, just convenience of carrying around your electronic device, but really exploiting that skin interface for these kind of clinical grade measurements of health status. And yeah. so it's happening. Uh, maybe, you know, question is why hasn't it happened sooner? Uh, and I think there are a lot of issues that had to be solved around manufacturing. These are very, you know, sort of heterogeneous systems. They have hard computer chips embedded in soft elastomer right. matrices. And how do you handle the interfaces? And how do you think about the biocompatibility of the materials? How do you do manufacturing? How do you get the cost points in, right. into a, a regime where they can be competitive? And so it's it's going to happen. And so we, we have a program funded by the Gates Foundation and the Save the Children Foundation for deploying into uh, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, India, Pakistan. That's happening. It's going to be at the scale of 10,000 devices. We wow. have joint uh, program with uh, Anthem, which is a me medical insurance company. They're interested in taking the same kind of clinical grade data streams that we can get out of these Band-Aid type devices, deploying it on their customer base to help triage you know, insurance rates and so sure. on. So uh, there's going to be a lot of things uh, just around the corner. Uh, and it's not just electronics. It's going to be microfluidics as well for capturing uh, sweat and using sweat as a, as a biofluid for uh, doing sort of a biochemical level uh, assessment of, of health status. And that product is in very advanced stages of development with Gatorade, and there's an announcement for the launch to happen in the summer. So, so this stuff is right around the corner, and I think it's really going to completely transform the way people think about wearables. I mean, I think the, the old-style wrist-mounted, you know, watch-type uh, type of form factor is going to quickly look very, very primitive. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to happen just in the next couple of years. That's a fascinating prediction right there. It sure is. And, um, you know, I, I think it speaks to advancements in technology specifically. Um, but I think it's just going to be more applicable to have a wearable that isn't like a, a fashion statement. You know, right. a wearable that you can literally press to your uh, your chest, mm -hmm. right? And it just tapes on like a Band-Aid and it can literally read your vital signs Um like, I think in a more industrial or, um, yeah, I guess industrial is the right word, or, or just a more, like, commercial sense. Yeah. Using this for analytics, for a business, you know, for measuring health, um, for, like, a, a physician mm -hmm. to measure a patient's health outside of the office. You know, imagine the wearable that could be able to do that. Um, instead of the giant heart defibrillator kind of machines yeah. you gotta hook up with all the different wires and stuff. I mean, just one thin, adhesive, skin-like wearable, fantastic. He mentioned uh, the Gatorade partnership, mm -hmm. um, you know, measuring athletes and their electrolyte loss and their sweat levels as they work out yeah. with a wearable. I mean, that is a, such a granular piece of data that is very important to... Um, the health mm -hmm. of uh, sporters. <laughs> wow, that's not a good word, but sp of sport athletes, sporties, athletes. That's, that's a, that is the correct word. I don't know why I went to sporters, sportsmen and women. I mean, what are your thoughts on a, a piece of tech like that? Being the more sporty guy here in the room. Yeah, one of the things that has been, um, I guess, evolving and moving forward quite a bit is tracking player performance and then the analytics that you can use based on that. But one thing that has happened a, a shocking number of times has been 
athletes that have, you know, uh, undetected heart right. problems and issues and that sort of thing. And if there is any way, shape, or form to, you know, track performance, track, you know, irregular heartbeats and that sort of thing in a way that can alert you if there's uh, something abnormal right. or um, we've had players collapse out in summer practices playing football because of severe levels of dehydration. If right. using, you know, these sweat type of uh, readers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you can know those types of things, then I think. Um, yeah, well, not only do you save lives. Yeah, exactly. You, I mean, you save the energy of these players of, of having to deal with these issues. And I mean, I guess if you want to look at the business sense, I mean, you do save money from having to invest in the, um, you know, in the medical treatment to mm -hmm. fix the issue instead of to catch the issue early on. Exactly. So you, you pay the money in the front side right, for this technology to avoid the lawsuits, the, you know, right. uh, the, those types of things, and loss of life, obviously, of as course, well. Of course, yeah, so, right. Know, the more important issue here. Yeah, so I think, it's a, I think it's a really smart thing. I'm very interested to see how this continues yeah. to develop and what teams and athletes and then businesses are able to then, you know, do based off of this. Can you, you know, change the way that you schedule shifts and that sort of thing in industrial-type Areas because you recognize that after four hours of being on your feet, workers start to lose productivity or whatever. So maybe you change schedules, give more frequent but shorter breaks, exactly. things things along those lines. And that's where I hope the technology takes us. Yes. I am also a little worried that the tech could lead to kind of heightened oversight on productivity in a way that, you know, could feel a little off-putting. That's true. Um you know, I, I imagine uh, under the wrong kind of leadership, this technology could just be kind of a cudgel for forcing people to be more productive, mm -hmm. you know, and like you got to you got to work harder. Like your numbers on your heart rate aren't matching up or your numbers right. on whatever, how much sweat you put off on the warehouse floor isn't matching up to what matches to like a you did a good job today. And I, I don't know, it could almost remove, I think, some of the nuance or the like humanity of some of the work these people do. Sure. But um, I think the the benefits of having a wearable that can measure vital signs like that or can help improve productivity um, or just like efficiency as a a, a athlete uh, or just a worker in general could be good. But I just I worry. I hope that the technology gets used for the right reasons and doesn't get used as a um, yeah, like I said, a cudgel to kind of cut workers instead, definitely, right? Yeah. Definitely. I, I'm with you on that. Well, for more of our coverage of CES, head over to MarketScale's software and technology page uh, where Daniel and uh, Taylor Bagley were there in Las Vegas. Did Truth. a lot. Yeah, did a lot of uh, of content. Did They did content. We did the contents. Whatever. <laughs> we've got a lot still coming through the pipeline. We've yes. got an interview with Bell, not Bell Helicopter, but Bell, that is uh, going to be released either uh, today or early next week. We've got an interview with Panasonic's mm -hmm. Smart City Division that's also coming through the pipeline. Come on. Um, we've got a compilation on Smart City Thoughts from CES, on Agricultural Thoughts from CES, Transportation Thoughts from CES. It's huge. 
a lot of good stuff that we're still looking to release. So, folks, head over to our software and technology page or just marketscale.com slash industries yep. uh, because there is some stuff that fits into other industries like food and beverage, for example. Food so, and beverage, IoT, lots of different transpo. stuff. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we're going to be all up on that CES coverage as well as two of our team members are going to NRF. That's a big retail show next week. A lot to discuss in the world of retail. We had a couple stories we didn't get to today from the world of retail, just kind of looking at department stores, uh, brick and mortar. It's a huge conversation all the time, right? E-commerce, we'll brick and mortar. Monday for we'll sure. touch on them, yeah, most definitely. And uh, so keep an eye out for uh, coverage from NRF as well. But Daniel, we're done for the day, man. We're done, so we are done. Didn't, didn't mean to make this a full CES show, but you know, hey, I think it's worth it. I love chatting on these technologies and yeah, their do. applications, dude. I mean, just seeing where they could take industries, how they could be used positively, negatively. You yep. know, there's a there's a full picture here to unpack, and it's just always a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. So we will probably do more of that next week as well, as well as uh, some NRF content. Buzz, buzz, buzz. Buzz, buzz, buzz. I think that's a sign that it's like, get the yeah, heck off the air. That's the timer. All right. For Daniel Lutman, <laughs> I'm Tyler Kern. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Peace, y'all.